0: Start where you're comfortable, and begin to build those muscles. And just make sure it's something that it's worth it, that you're excited about. Don't do it for a number where you're like, well, if I had known it was gonna be this, I don't wanna get out of bed. But find the level you're comfortable starting at, and just get going.
1: How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Fraser and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's gonna get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you wanna get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www.businesslunchpodcast.com, and you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. All right, so I I wanted to bring uh, Jonathan in because, uh, number one, he is the most quoted guest That we have either here or on the airplane when we're flying around. It's a tall uh, order, and uh, uh, because he he drops he speaks in great quotations, so <laughs> I'm very jealous about that, but also excited to be with him and hear all the things he has to say. But Jonathan, um, how many of you know who Jonathan is? Couple, okay, cool. So uh, Jonathan, who's more than
0: none, I'm whose pretty, friends I'm, I'm call him j so
1: that's so that's why I call him Jonathan. No, um, J-Cron... Uh, Uh, I met long ago. I'm going to let him tell the story um, because also you just recently had kind of a breakthrough of how you got to where. Yeah. Where. uh,
0: Yeah. I, um, I finally answered the question that everyone asks me all the time. They're like, what's the secret to getting a $2 billion valuation? How did you do it? And I've always had terrible answers. Like, everyone's hoping for, like, here's my eight point no fail double unicorn PDF, you know, give me your email. And it's like, when you get a very short PDF, it'd be like right place, right time, and work fucking hard. Um, so clearly, it doesn't do well in a PDF, but I
1: actually figured out how to encapsulate it into something that is valuable. Okay, before you share it, though, just so I can kind of give you the full uh, build up. So, Jonathan has been the CEO of Digital Marketer. He was the, before that, uh, the best affiliate manager for launches that you would ever encounter, which is kind of how we connected. And um, he ran uh, all of that for Glazer Kennedy, which was Dan Kennedy's, a very famous marketing person, then worked with Success Magazine, worked with a big uh, uh, network marketing company. And then I think, did I miss any of the things along the way to Kajabi? And then went with Kajabi and um, helped build Kajabi to a $2 billion valuation uh, was co-CEO with Kenny over there for um, uh, until very recently when they both decided that it's not that much fun to be a CEO of a $2 billion company. <laughs> and um, now he's just independently wealthy and um, collecting all of the best watches. And uh, he's my watch coach also. Every,
0: everyone needs a hobby. Because if needs you a don't hobby. have one, then you just, you'll wither and die.
1: So you should definitely listen to what he says because uh, among all of the other things that he's done, he CFE'd his way into that $2 billion company and um, so he's got the chops to kind of share everything from how does it feel to, to get into post-exit uh, consulting and think about doing CFE again, how does one get into a $2 billion company to start with, and, uh, and then his journey, which I'm excited for him to share with you first. So uh, let's give him a hand because he's just an awesome guy. Well, thank you all very much. And thank you to everybody watching
0: at home via Zoom. Um, You're definitely my people because I'm sure like me, you do your best thinking with no pants on and this allows you to do that, so (laughs) nicely done. So um, I guess we can start off with uh, how I met you. Let's do it. Um, So one of the things you'll find about my CFE journey, my career, quite frankly, the one common denominator that really is behind all of my successes is it always starts with relationships that for me, I am very much a person that has always pursued great relationships, approached them with a spirit of abundance. I'm the type who always trusts until someone gives me a reason not to. It means I've gotten burned more than people that don't trust first, but it also means that I've had the opportunity to build a lot of relationships that had I not trusted first, probably would not have been able to be built. So it definitely has balanced in my favor. And uh, Roland is somebody that I'm proud to now be a decade plus member of Roland's Friends. You'll notice that as you are around Roland, you'll meet people that's like, I've known him for 10 years. And then, you know, you feel like you got short Short end of the stick because you meet Grant. It's like, oh, I've known Grant for over 20 plus years. And I'm, what sucks is like, yeah, 30 years. So like what sucks is Grant's always going to have known Roland longer than me. And I don't feel like I have enough time to beat him. But long-term relations is is Grant's
1: a lot older than you are.
0: Yeah. And he's an attorney, which is just gross. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Absolutely gross. (laughs) So I'm VP of biz dev for Traffic Geyser or affiliate manager, depending on what term you're familiar with. And my job was to manage product launches. And so we're doing our first big launch as a company. It was called Main Street Marketing Machines and it was for bringing video marketing to local businesses. And we had a live event at the end of it and our affiliates were coming to it, uh, you know, kind of hey, come on, appreciation. And there was a guy in the leaderboard. We had this big television screen in the leaderboard and it said MMS Inc and it's just climbing the leaderboard. And everyone's looking at me as the affiliate manager They're like, "Who's MMS?" and I'm like, "No idea." And they're like, well, the, the name is B.R. Fraser. I'm like, still, no idea, got nothing, but he's doing really well, so go MMS. <laughs> so I get to the event, and like all of you at an event, you know, you're shaking hands with hundreds of people, you're trying to figure out who everybody is, and Roland just walks up as graciously as possible and says, hi, I'm Roland. And I'm like, hey, great to meet you, Roland, I'm J. Cron, you know, and he's like looking for me to recognize him, and I'm like... Great to meet you, all. Because we had talked, by the way.
1: So I had talked back and forth on chat or email or something.
0: Totally, and he's like, MMS. And I'm like, oh, holy shit, you know, it's great to meet you. He goes, you know, this was really fun. I've never done a product launch before. And I'm like, dude, you finished like second or third, or I mean, top five for his first product launch. He's like, I did it because my wife and I were stranded in Europe because of the volcano, and I was in a hotel room with literally nothing to do. And I'm like, you did this from a hotel room in Europe because you were bored? He's like, yeah, you know, I really think the next time you guys do one of these, I'd really like to go for it, really see what I could do. And I was like, awesome. So sure enough, Main Street Marketing Machines 2 comes around, Roland decides to really put a plan together and shoots the lights out. Like, I mean, leaves everyone in the dust, probably sold more than second, third, fourth, fifth combined. And, you know, I think it was like over a million and a half dollars as a single affiliate. So almost probably 30% of the launch, I mean, just, obscene numbers for that time and we end up becoming much better friends by that point point. and Roland actually first time in history I've done probably 100 product launches product releases Roland is the only affiliate who after that said I'd like to say thank you we'd like to have you and your wife come down put you up at the Grand El Mar we're gonna have dinner at their Michelin star restaurant Addison together and just break bread and celebrate what we did and I was like I hope he's normal because no one's ever said, I'm going to take you and your wife to a hotel and have dinner with you guys. I'm like, this is some like eyes wide sub- shut stuff. I'm not ready for You know, that. in retrospect, so, the
1: hotel could have been a little,
0: uh, a little scary. Yeah, 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 it was. <laughs> but I mean, and that was where our friendship began, you know, over, over a decade ago. And uh, it's been one of those things that now going back to answering that question that Roland asked that I get asked all of the time because, you know, I somehow got a lot smarter when someone assigned a third party value to whatever was built with my name attached to it. I'm the same person I was then, but how I'm viewed and who asks me what and how what I say is received is very different now. And what I would say is the common theme that if I were to distill all of it down into one single point of success or inflection in my life, it is the quality of people I had access to in those inflection or decision points in my journey. By far, number one thing, that when you're in a company and it's like, do we go left, do we go right, do we adjust here, do we adjust there, do we try to scale it, do we keep it lifestyle and cash flow it, all of those kind of questions are going to be determined by the quality of the people you are asking them to, and for me, that has been the greatest difference maker by far, so having access to people like Roland, having access to Roland's network, those are the kind of things that are the real difference makers for me in business. So if you were going to ask me, how do you build a $2 billion valuation? I would say it's gonna depend on the quality of the people you have around you when you're asking those questions and then implementing those answers.
1: So um, kind of looking at coming in, I think it's, it's an interesting story, looking at your entry into Kajabi as an equity uh, person. And you have a structure that we don't talk about a lot uh, that I'd love to, if, if you're comfortable, to share as well sure. with the note. But um, would you just kind of talk a little bit about that journey and then thinking about from the perspective of everybody here how they might use, what what they might take away from what you've learned? Because you're now kind of looking to do it again, right? Yeah. And so I know you've thought about that a little bit. Would you share that? Yeah, bit? definitely. So
0: when you look at, again, going back to my theme of long-term relationships, that is what built the foundation of my opportunity with Kajabi. So I met Kenny originally through the third co-founder of Kajabi's wife at the time. She says, you're in Orange County, they're in Orange County, doing super cool things. You should meet Kenny. I'm like, awesome. Meet Kenny. They hire me for consulting for six months. They fire me to work with Frank Kern because he was cooler. So Kenny takes me to Starbucks, says, hey man, small company, we can only have one consultant helping with marketing. We're gonna go with Frank. I was like, all right, cool, you know, let's stay in touch. Two years go by. They hire me back as VP of Business Development. I was there a week and a half because then I got the call to be CEO of Digital Marketer. I took Kenny to the same Starbucks. I said, look, I'm only quitting because you fired me. So let's stay friends. And he goes, well, we can totally stay friends now because we're even. I fired you. You quit. We're back. So my career starts taking off working with Digital Marketer in Austin, renting an office from Kajabi in California. And one day, like three or four years later, Kenny walks in on a Monday. He's like, hey, dude, what's new? I'm like, well, I'm going to figure out my next gig. Success Magazine wants me to move to Dallas. I'm not leaving Southern California. Not sure what I'm going to do next. And Kenny said, well, we should probably just sit down and talk about it because you've done a lot of stuff. We've done a lot of stuff. And we should just probably figure out a way to work together because it's easier than moving your shit out of this office. And I was like, I agree. Let's figure it out. So end up sitting down. And this was a, a time in my life where I had been pretty much a hired-gun CEO the entire time. I was brought in to grow a company, sometimes had equity, sometimes not, and this was a season where I was having conversations with Roland, with some of my guys in my YPO chapter, and the general theme was if you do not have some type of leverageable asset, something that can grow exponentially outside of just your direct involvement or just another job, you're not going to create the life that you want. And that was hard for me because I was so accustomed and programmed largely for my family, get the biggest salary you can, save as much as you can, hope for the best. So this idea of taking, when I joined Kajabi, a 50% cut in salary for an opportunity to be on the cap table, I was like, boy, this better work. So thankfully it did. But it was something that in those conversations, it came up a, a lot of my mental programming that I needed to move beyond. And then in those discussions with Kajabi, it very much was a situation where they knew it could be more than it was. I knew it could be more than it was with my involvement, but I also knew that I wasn't gonna have the opportunity that would excite me given what I had the wherewithal to buy in at at that moment in time. I was fortunate that we had a long-term relationship leading up to this that allowed us to have a very cards face up conversation, which was just, look, this is what the company's worth today. You can't write that check today, we're going to help you buy into this company today with a note, so that way the value that we have already created will be realized, and it'll be realized out of the value that we're going to co-create together. So bought in with a note, was a real note, paid interest on the note during the entire period of time, and that was how I had my equity stake in Kajabi. When I joined them, we were doing 6 million in ARR with 25 team members, And when Kenny and I stepped down in July of 2021, we were over nine figures, 400 employees, and uh, the platform just crossed over 4.1 billion in products sold by our user base. So it it certainly is becoming a thing.
1: So you think it might make something of itself?
0: We're hoping. Nice.
1: Um, Because I spent all my money on
0: watches, so, you know.
1: (laughs) So um, in terms of negotiating what you were going to do, was that, because you, um, you were a marketing consultant before, then when you came on the second time with the equity, it was as, uh, as a... Uh, third time. Second third time, time was a That's right. VP of
0: biz dev, and very quickly left to go to digital market. That's the right. Third okay. time was partner, president, and on the cap table.
1: Okay, so um, coming in then, it was as, a, as an employee of the company? Yes. Okay, and um, thinking about kind of now, as you're looking at going forward and knowing everything that you know about what you did there to build it up and, and the deal, um, what, what do you think? Because we had Kevin came up earlier, who's got an offer from a private equity company now or a, or a company to come in and be a CEO. Then he's trying to decide between is that, does that make sense? Because he's gonna get some equity, significant equity, 20% and, um, and maybe keeping his options open to have the ability to do multiple deals. Cause I know that's something you're kind of wrestling with now too. Can you just kind of share your thoughts on all that?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure I can be as unhelpful as possible in <laughs> answering his question. Um, ultimately, it, it's gonna come down to a very personal journey. Where's Kevin sitting? Right there. Okay, cool. I'm looking at random tables here about his journey. So it's gonna be something where you're going to explore what it is that you want, and there are multiple ways to get there. So Roland is extremely capable at managing a bevy of opportunities, being super impactful in all of them. And he has that special skill of being able to do that. I don't know yet that I'm wired that way. I I am somebody that, um, I don't think I could have done what I did with Kajabi if Kajabi was one of many. Because for me, it was more, I want to bring everything I am to this. I'm gonna be the guy on the videos. I'm gonna be the guy crafting campaigns. I'm gonna be the guy evangelizing this thing everywhere. And I don't know that I could have done that with more of a portfolio focus. So you've got kind of two schools of thought. You know, you have the index fund investing that is stood the test of time, beats almost every actively managed fund that you've got a piece of a lot of things and you're gonna do better consistently over time and you shouldn't try to beat the market because only idiots try to beat the market. Then you've got Warren Buffett who says, diversification is only a hedge against ignorance. Put all of your eggs in one basket and watch that basket really closely. And both of them are right, but ultimately it depends on how you're wired. So if you want the thing and you're bringing everything you have to it and you have the confidence that if you bring all of yourself to it, it will be a win, you probably will do better doing that However, it's binary. It's either a win or it's not. And if it's not, you lost out on all of that time. You have no other opportunities. So it's kind of like you better be right. And I think the downside to that is if there's anything about my story that I would offer a disclaimer, there is a survivorship bias to that burn the boats, go all in mentality. You don't hear about the people that go all in and don't make it. You only hear about the people that go all in and do. So are there lots of people that probably made a similar decision that I did that you're not hearing about? Probably. I mean, I'm probably better. But, you know, it's one of those things. That was a joke, by the way. You guys didn't laugh. I had a couple of people did. I looked like a (laughs) self-aggrandizing asshole. It was a total (laughs) joke. But it's very much one of those things that, you know, uh, the Bhagavad Gita says we are entitled to our labors, but not necessarily the fruits of them figure out what journey you're gonna get the most joy in so that the outcome will be delivered in whatever form it's delivered. So it's far more about how do you want to play than it is necessarily only being able to win one way or the other. So, was that helpful?
1: Not at all. Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Um, I will tell you, the the other thing that I think would be very valuable to the whole group that uh, Ryan Dice said to me, We are at dinner, and Ryan's like, so how's everything going? I'm like, I've been retired about 18 months, and you know, it's it's, it's weird. He's like, well, you know, have you decided to stop being a navel-gazing bitch and make some money? And I was like, no, I haven't decided yet. He's like, well, you know, let me give you a thought. He's like, "Um, so when Tiger Woods won the Masters, did uh, he put down his golf clubs and go sit on a beach for 18 months and ponder his existence and wonder all of the intricacies of the world and figure out what to do next? And I'm like, no, he probably just went to the next tournament. And he's like, aha, uh-huh. maybe you should just go to the next tournament and just keep playing. And I was like, okay, uh, well, got me. me, pulled
1: it's my card. Mainly because your wife wants you to stay home and, and, and be there all the time, right?
0: My wife literally said three months ago, she's like, I want in and out for lunch and you should pick up a job application while you're there.
1: <laughs> love, my, she's awesome. love my wife. She's awesome. Um, so one of the things that we chatted a little bit about that I think would be very helpful to everybody here is imposter syndrome. And I, I'll ask you guys and you guys at home, uh, give me yeses if, if this is the case, but um, I hate people. <laughs> do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Yeah. Yeah.
0: False.
1: Okay, most people. Yes, okay, we got some. Yes, okay, we got a couple of people there answered. There we go. So would you guys say... Oh, up. Our Dural Patrick
0: has never struggled with it. We should ask him how he feels. That is amazing. It. Yep. Never struggled with it once. I'm impressed.
1: The, um, <laughs> he, he must be a sociopath, actually. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Oh, you, you heard it here, right? <laughs> the, um, so, the, the question, I guess, then for you guys would be do you think someone who has had a $2 billion valuation, effectively a $2 billion exit, uh, partial exit, with, uh, with more skin in the game to exit significantly higher, who has all of the experience, been CEOs of multiple companies, had all kinds of success track record, would have imposter syndrome about helping somebody in a consultation on how to grow their company? Do you think that they would have imposter syndrome about that? I I would. He says he says yes. Do you? He's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's. Uh... So I learned about this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which basically means that the more you know about something, the less likely you are to believe that you know all of the things you know. And I was talking to Doberman Dan, who's been in the you know, copywriting, marketing, direct response world for almost as long as Dan Kennedy. And he's like, what are you gonna do next? I'm like, I don't know, man. And he's like, you know what's so hard? He's like, I've been in this industry almost three decades. And he's like, all of the people that haven't necessarily done something are the most confident and cocksure about their ideas and approaches. And all of the people that have done something, like yourself, are truly hamstrung by this idea that they don't know what they have to contribute or how they're gonna help anybody. And I was like, yeah, that's me. Do you know how to fix it? He goes, no, sure don't. I'm like, okay, great.
1: But it very much- At least have a much... label I can put on it now. No, <laughs> totally, it's, it's that thing. And Shannon, we get the, uh, we appreciate your sarcasm, by the way.
0: <laughs> but it's very much something where, you know, The imposter thing is less I'm not going to have it and more just choosing to move through it. So it it very much is something that if you have it, me too, and it's very much something that the easier it is to move through it is all the more indicative of how much empathy you have for the people that you're looking to help. It's actually something that is a great indicator that you care deeply about what you do, not something that is insecure, unfortunate, or you know something to be avoided. It literally is an indicator that you're, you're a real human being and you care about the person across the table. So it can be a motivational force versus a stumbling block.
1: So you asked me when uh, we were talking, because I've been trying to get uh, uh, John into the, this uh, consulting for equity thing, and he still hasn't decided if he wants to do the one company or, or several, so, so he's, he's not done anything yet. But um, he did say, I don't know what I would do or have to offer in a consult. So exactly what uh, Doberman Dan said, right? He's like, I don't know what I would have to offer. Um, Would you share a little bit about that? And then he asked me if, if he could sit in on one. And so I want him to share, as somebody that was nervous about, what do you even do in the consult? What do you think you have to do? And then how does it actually happen? How many of you have done a consult so far? Raise your hand. Paid consult, okay, great. How many of you want to? Okay, great, that's that's awesome. So, <laughs> that's great. So, uh, so think this will be really, I think this will be really helpful. So, we well, kind of that
0: should... I mean, that's the, the hilarious part about it is you can remember when I used to do consulting. Yes. And I did the model that you gave me, right. which was basically, I would go do all of these free product launch maps for people. And I would just be like, here's how to do a product launch. And, you know, some would do it and some wouldn't do it. And Roland's like, your idea is dumb. And I'm like, thanks, you know, would you like to help? And he goes, yeah, he's like, you shouldn't be doing this for anybody that doesn't write you a $10,000 check for the day. You're gonna put the whole playbook together. This is like 12 then, years ago, by the way. And if they work with you, then you credit them the 10,000 towards working with you. And if they don't work with you, you have $10,000 and they have the playbook you would have given them anyway. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just saw the matrix. And changed everything. Close rate five times as high. I actually got paid to do it, and I was like, "This is incredible." And it worked so well that I totally forgot how to do it, and I haven't <laughs> done it since. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really is something that the consult. You you go into it, and for me, I'm not the technical marketer. Like I'm, I always have this fear of I'm in a consult, and someone's like. Well, here's how I'm doing my Facebook targeting and the retargeting and the audience it, And I'm just like, yeah, I can't help you. And then they're going to find out that I'm a complete fraud who knows nothing about business. And they're going to tell all of their friends. And then the world will find out that I wasn't as confident in my abilities or success as I should be. And then watching Roland go through this consult and seeing what it actually was, I was like, this is not at all what my... Internal dialogue of someone is going to ask me the only questions I don't know how to answer, and I'm going to get caught with my pants down. It was literally watching rapport building and almost like a, it's much more of a trust exercise than it is a tactical exercise. They're not coming to the consult because they're planning on leaving with your eight point no fail double unicorn plan. They're coming to it because they actually want to know if they can trust you with the thing right now that at least equal to their family, if not more important than their family, is this thing that they're considering letting you help them with. And they also know that in order for you to help them, you're gonna have to see all the areas that are probably ugly, probably have some hair on it. It's very much something where, it's much more of a relationship exercise than it is a tactical or a playbook exercise. And that was something that I had not anticipated at all.
1: And so what, it was cool. What was cool about that is that one led to an offer for equity. And also, Jonathan, who was attending as an, an observer but, but can't help but add valuable things, uh, got offered a job with equity as well. So he got offered the ability to be the CEO of the company and have equity in addition to the equity that I was offered. So
0: and we even got to make some introductions to a company that the person in the consult had ownership in, and now those are you know bearing fruit as well. So right. I mean it was like, oh wow, this this is totally way easier than I thought it would be.
1: So is there anything that you think you could share with everybody here that would help them feel more confident about moving forward or less fearful about what's gonna happen in there, knowing that you guys, all of you guys in CFE have access to time-stamped models of the exact consults that we do, which you didn't have access to.
0: No, I sure didn't, that would've helped. But there's no doubt about it, seeing Roland actually deliver Roland's frameworks as Roland is very fun to watch. Um, You know, you, you have a lot of programs that are designed to be educational, Roland's are much more experiential because it literally is him having a conversation and him breaking it down in a curriculum format, but it is delivered exactly as it is in the course. So it is something that seeing those questions, seeing those, I guess, expanding questions and the discovery process and finding out the pain points, finding out how you can help them, seeing that in real time was definitely instructive. But also I would say it's just, being willing to have the conversations. Like you're, you're going to enter into a dialogue that is going to benefit the person you're having it with. And I would also say too, for me, I would recommend having them where you're comfortable having them. Like Roland is perfectly comfortable saying, yeah, it's $25,000 for a half day. Normally is going to be about two hours and then we'll have two one-hour follow-ups and we'll have some fun. Don't let the numbers stop you from delivering the value and having the interactions. Wherever your financial set point is, which what you'll find out in this process is that financial set point is much more psychological than it is empirical. It's pretty much whatever level you feel comfortable with based on your proficiencies and self worth and like what's going on internally. But if you're perfectly comfortable saying, I can do a consult for $5,000 and I know they're gonna leave with value, do the console for $5,000. Yeah. do not say, man, I'm really worried about charging 25000 and not doing it. So I would say start where you're comfortable and begin to build those muscles. And just make sure it's something that it's worth it, that you're excited about. Don't do it for a number where you're like, well, if I had known it was going to be this, I don't want to get out of bed. But find the level you're comfortable starting at and just get going.
1: So I want to... Um see if any of you guys have questions for John. We have about 10 minutes uh, that we can do questions. And then uh, is there anything you'd like to share with them that, we, that I haven't asked you about?
0: I would say there might be, but I would probably say it'll probably come out of the questions. I okay. mean, this is very much something you'll notice. I'm, I'm not like a presenter. So it's much more the, the value you
1: get out of this will be based on the questions you ask me. As, so, as is life. Yes, right? <laughs>
0: absolutely. Who,
1: who has a question online, put it in the chat. If you guys, anybody here have a question for John? Hi, John, Bill Mapp. Uh, um, Hello Bill. Down. Hey Bill. All right, all right. Appreciate your vulnerability and your time. <clears throat> so I have a question regarding going forward. What's your vision going forward is how you, what you're going to do? Um, the size of companies, CFE. You know, we're talking different sizes of company. You know, you got the mid-market and the bigger market. For somebody that has experience with the larger deals, corporate-type markets, how do you resolve that going forward? In your mind, what, what, what's your passion and vision going forward? Um,
0: it's a constant moving target. Uh-huh. So I will tell you that the... The day that you achieve entrepreneurial freedom, um, Harvard Business Review has an amazing article about it. It basically says, congratulations on selling your company, prepare for depression. <laughs> and it, it really is something where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I did it. You know, The whole reason I got into business just happened. But it's kind of like the dog chasing the car, and you catch the car, and it's like, well, what do you do with it? And you all of a sudden are thrust into this realm of what am I missing? You know, because I'm clearly not missing the money that I was making, but I am missing the fulfillment. I am missing the, the scoreboard of going to sleep every night knowing I put numbers on the board. I'm even missing, the schedule, right? Yeah, even the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, let me tell you, you will drink more when you don't have anything do to do the next day. <laughs> Ask me how I know. But it's something where I would say for me, after 18 months of navel gazing, to quote Ryan Dice. It's very much missing the fulfillment of working with entrepreneurs. Like, the, the transformational power of entrepreneurship I don't think can be overstated. I think it's quite frankly the only thing that will save anything given how polarizing and divisive the world is today. Um, that's what I miss. Like, like you know, it's it's not the stories about like somebody who made $10 million on Kajabi. Like, don't get me wrong, Brendan Burchard is one of my favorite human beings on the planet, and he makes giant buckets of money with all of his products all over the world. And it's super cool to talk about his story on Kajabi. But the stories I remember are, you know, I was a Celtic metal musician. I didn't know how to make money with going on tour. I had five children at home that I was homeschooling. And so I felt like I had to give up my music career until I learned I could sell music online. And then I realized other musicians would like to still be musicians selling their music online. So I taught people how to do that. Her name's Leah McHenry. And then it was like, all right, what happened? She's like, we did a product launch. We did, I don't know, like half a million or a million bucks. She's like, I immediately retired my husband, who was a long haul truck driver, and we bought a dining room table that seats 12. You know, We never had one big enough for all the family and the kids. And it's like, wow, that's cool. So Thank I miss you. that. Thank you. What that looks like next, I have no idea. Yeah. Like if I had it, if I had it my way, like if I had a magic wand, I would find a five to $10 million ARR enterprise B2B SaaS that was truly transformational in what it did for its users, but had no idea how to language or message it. Like, Picture horribly stupid sales process, all technical gobbledygook, no evangelism, no marketing around it. Man, that would be my sweet spot. And what's probably prompting me to frustrate the shit out of Roland about him asking me what I'm gonna do and me still not knowing, although it is a great ploy to keep getting free lunches. Um, he's like, you know what you're gonna do yet? I'm like, no, let's have lunch in a month. So um, for me, that, that's the, the hardest part is it's like, I have the luxury of waiting for the perfect thing that I know I can hit out of the park, but for somebody who's so used to putting numbers on the board every day, patience is the hardest thing in the world. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. So there's my non-answer answer for you.
1: I like it. You. Can you throw it back to Timmer And uh, let's do uh, Yarrow's online there, down at the bottom. Hi, Yarrow. So Yarrow asked, hi, John, what are the general steps that you
0: would take to increase company's revenue, and what process do you review? So Yaro, I'm gonna um, take some liberty with your question here because it's extremely broad. Mm -hmm. So um, to increase a company's revenues, it's very simple. You just increase the revenues. But what I would say my favorite way to go about increasing the revenues is finding what's working and what's not, doubling down on what's working, but focusing primarily on the whole value chain and finding those 5%, 10% items all along the way that results in a much bigger gain. I think early on in my career I would gravitate towards how do I find this giant, strategic, magical unlock that would completely change the business? And I realized that sometimes it works, but more often than not it doesn't, and it's too great of a risk. I also think that with companies that I work with, if you show them a game, it's a whole lot easier to get permission to try some of those more out there ideas. So I would focus on the win first, and then some of the bigger opportunities later. Um, I know before I came up, we were talking about, uh, it was a role play and Adam was, uh, you know, someone said I can get you 50% more on your sales or whatever, like when I was with Chet Holmes before Tony Robbins acquired Chet's uh, material, Chet was talking about when he consulted for George Zimmerman of uh, Men's Warehouse, you know, you like the way you yeah, look, I guarantee like the way you look. Yeah. So Chet with all of his marketing bravado of, you know, six, six, you know, powerhouse of a guy is like, George, I can double your sales in three years. And George looks at me, he goes, nope, false. He goes, I've been doing this way too long. If there was an opportunity to double my sales, I would have found it. I didn't miss anything that big. Chet's like, would you believe a 15% increase in 18 months? And George is like, yeah, I would, let's do that. (laughs) So I think that would be Yaro for me. It's much more, and also in a, a broader CFE answer, um, never argue with a fool because anyone watching can't tell the difference. If you're across the table with somebody that is expecting you to be their genie or their Hail, Hail, Hail Mary pass, it's not somebody that I think is going to give you the opportunity to really increase that revenue. So setting those expectations and ensuring that you're aligned in that is going to be most important. Awesome. Cool. Kevin?
1: Hello? Oh, cool. All right, so first of all, thank you so much
0: for uh, the golden nugget of insight about the quality of the people that you had access to along the inflection points
1: and the long-term relationship. That was amazing. Um, I wanted to ask a follow-up question on that point. you guys are masters at this, and I want this uh, a little bit of a, like an expansion about
0: the way you start those relationships and uh, and nurture them over time, especially in the context of uh, the digital world we live in. You know, Zoom versus face to face. When you make the decisions and how you know, like you're in luck. I have a tremendous amount to say about this. Um, rule number one: Don't suck. And let me tell you what sucking looks like. Sucking looks like taking the easy, laborious way rather than actually doing the work. So um, I'll give Tim Ferriss credit for this, I don't know if it's his or he stole it, but he basically said that busyness or undisciplined effort is the new form of laziness. So whether you're doing nothing or whether you're doing a lot of stupid shit, they're both the same form of poor intellectual application. So where I see most people screw up in relationships is they think it's a volume game. So, I'm gonna take the same cold email template, I'm gonna blast it out to 35,000 people and hope for the best. Terrible recipe. So, I would say start first with a genuine desire to connect and a genuine desire to add value. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those things, I know Roland talks about it as well, like the whole like, oh my gosh, can I take you out to lunch and pick your brain? It's like, well, first of all, picking my brain sounds a little bit weird. And second of all, um, I I don't want to have lunch. Like I don't wanna be trapped with somebody for 90 minutes that I barely know, and I don't even have enough lunches with my wife, much less strangers. So I would say understanding the context of who you're asking, how you're looking to build that relationship, and figuring out how to be impactful out of the gate is a must. Because if you don't get there, the relationship isn't gonna start. But I would say it's really more doing the work of who is that person, what's important to them, what way can you add value that differentiates you from everybody else that's trying to get their attention. That's the key. And then ultimately, the fortunes and the follow-up. So um, my first mentor I met when I was a freshman in college. I was looking at an off-campus apartment, walked out, there was a 97 black Lamborghini Diablo VT Roadster car I still want to own someday. And Tops off and I'm like, oh my gosh, this car is amazing. I came from the Midwest, where like, you know, when I where I lived in the Midwest and S-Class Mercedes was like a spaceship, and then you know, I move here and it's a Newport Beach Accord. So it was something where I'm like, all right, I gotta really step my game up. And so I just wrote a note on the back of a piece of paper. I was like, nice car, love to know how you got it. John wrote my mobile number, dropped it in the roof of the car. Five minutes later, I get a phone call from a dude with a British accent, and he's like, Hi, is Jen there? And I'm like, Nope, no one here by that name. Click, hung up. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, damn it, it was him. So call him back, and he's like, hi. And I'm like, oh, yeah, um, I know you thought it was Jen, but it's actually John, and I dropped a note in your car because I'm really looking for a business
1: He probably only responded because it was Jen.
0: That's what he said. (laughs) He's like, oh, sorry, not interested. I thought it was a woman that was really interested in my car. And I was like, no, I'm really interested in business mentorship. Oh, yeah, I'm really busy going to Europe. I got to go, bye. So I called him once a week for the next eight weeks. (laughs) And finally, on call number eight, he picks up and he's like, if I have lunch with you, will you just stop calling me? And I was like, yeah, totally. So we have lunch. We've now been friends for 23 years. He was my first mentor, got me my first job at Fletcher Jones Motor Cars, where I learned the art of phone sales and scripting and processes because he knew the general manager. Um, he was guy, moved to the United States at 29 from England, started selling rattan furniture at a swap meet, slowly brought, bought out the other four partners of the rattan furniture, put all of that money into commercial real estate, fabulously wealthy dude, and uh, eight phone calls and a note dropped in the roof of a car.
1: So take some risks. So that's the formula. Absolutely. If you text to Bill to some number that you've got. Mm-hmm. You'll get that PDF. It's that basically says.
0: a PDF that says work really hard, drop lots of notes in expensive cars, and hope for the best. You also sent? Did you send a shoe or a door? I did. To somebody? I did. Yeah. I, uh, so I wanted to meet uh, billionaires. So I came up with a direct mail package where I mailed a single men's dress shoe with a cover letter that said I needed to find a way to get my foot in the door, and I gift wrapped it so it would hopefully get past the gatekeeper because it looks like a present, and mailed a hundred of them to a hundred billionaires on the Forbes 400 list. I got notes back from. Uh, Sid Bass, Steve Schwarzman, uh, actually offered me an opportunity to meet with one of their managing directors. Sheldon Adelson offered me a job selling timeshares in Macau. Uh, Steve Wynn said he would meet with me once he broke ground on LeRev, later to be named Wynn Casino. It was a really cool exercise. And the thing that also you'll find funny, all of those guys I just mentioned had their own stationary, beautiful, you know, letterhead coming back. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger both wrote me back, and they both wrote me back a note that was written on the note that I sent them, and they sent me my own note back. That's pretty cool. So no decorative stationery, wrote it on the paper I sent them, sent it back my way.
1: Always saving money. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, and April says, uh, shout out to the uh, Midwest Fletcher Jones. Uh, oh yeah. Study.
0: Yeah, now I grew up in northwest suburbs of Chicago. I moved to California because my dad tricked me. Um, he took me out to Dana Point in February. So I'm leaving like butthole puckering cold and I come and people are rollerblading on the beach and I'm like, yeah, we can move. And I mean, to show how parents totally lie to their children, my dad's like, well, you're the oldest. We really want to make sure you're excited about this decision, blah, 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 blah. And so drops me in Dana Point and goes somewhere. And like, it was like 15 years later, I'm telling the story and I realize I'm like, Wait a second, where did my dad go if he hadn't already taken the job? I'm like, Dad, did you already take the job? He goes, yeah, of course. He didn't think I was gonna leave that decision up to you. He's <laughs> like, this whole time, I thought I like brought the family here, so. Not true. That. Yes, you... shout out to Chicago, April. I
1: miss Lou Malnati's very, very much. Are right. you um, able to hang out for a little bit to be on the panel after lunch? Sure, yeah, as okay. long as you buy me lunch. I'll buy you lunch, because we're talking about you getting into this Consulting for Equity thing, right? Let's talk about that in a month. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's give John a hand. Thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, everybody. It. Thank you. Hey, Roland Fraser here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you wanna double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why